0: In some societies, being religious automatically means that someone is trusted and acquires an elevated status within that society which is highly prized. But, as is often the way, This religion is a scam, created entirely to take money from those that could least afford it, and when church members started to question the prophet and their cadre, the parishioners started to vanish. The questioning became louder, until eventually the leaders take action against their flock to silence the dissenters. In total, it is believed that almost 1,000 people have been murdered, with over 500 in a single event, by this doomsday cult in a very small town in Uganda. This case is Movement for the Restoration of the Ten Commandments of God, otherwise known as the Kanungu Massacre, and this is Murder Me on Monday.
1: Hello everyone, welcome back to the Murder Me Monday podcast. I am Cameron, and joined with me is Mother. Hello. And um, I apologise for the entire country of Uganda for the, the following names that are going to be pronounced wrong by Mother. The the, the what massacre, where is it? Kanungu. Say it again?
0: Kanungu.
1: You really struggled with that, the yeah. it was really funny. Okay, start us off, where are we? What?
0: Sorry, man, my brain is buffering, <laughs> <laughs> it's I've, completely I've... threw me there.
1: Do the podcast. Okay.
0: <laughs> I just wanted to um, mention I had a bit of a chat with somebody last week on social media, that kind crime guy who's actually on YouTube, and he raised your uh, comment in an episode about cornflakes.
1: Oh yeah, I forget I forget which context I brought that up in.
0: I can't even. Remember Why the did episode. I
1: bring it up? I brought around. <laughs> I brought up that it was made originally to put people off and make them not to touch themselves. And some people tried to, tried to claim that no, it's not that they di- they did it to um, invoke like a pure mind by not having a wank. And, and I'm going <laughs> to read you. I'm going to read you some of the stuff that the, the guy who made Kellogg's that later became Kellogg's who made Cornflakes. i want to read you a little a little paragraph about him. Okay. Kellogg thought that masturbation was the worst evil one could commit. He often referred to it as self-abuse. He was a leader of the anti-masturbation movement and promoted extreme measures to prevent masturbation. In addition, Kellogg thought that diet played a huge role in masturbation and that a bland diet would, de- would decrease excitability and prevent masturbation. Thus, Kellogg invented Conflict breakfast cereal in 1878. He hoped that feeding children this plain cereal every morning would help you combat the urge of self-abuse.
0: That's... They just don't so know, yeah, it?
1: yeah. <laughs> I I, I, for I that one? didn't think you
0: asked you asked for that. Camera's I, just giving you it.
1: I don't think I was gonna say I don't think I made it up. It's difficult when you listen to a lot of podcasts and other media for you to absorb information and not conflate it with other information. Yes. And then when you make a podcast, it's hard for you then to not repeat stuff you've heard in other podcasts.
0: And you can't verify where you got and, it from. because
1: it, it, it's because you don't want to steal someone else's sort of material that they've made. But at the same part, that sort of just becomes you, doesn't it? And you yeah. can share that opinion. But yeah, I, I, I don't I don't know why a. <laughs> A Jonestown Massacre-like cult episode mass murder thing started off with easing Cornflakes to not tug it, Joe,
0: <laughs> you, you kind of ruined it a bit, yeah, mentioning the Jonestown thing, but I'm going to say it, absolutely I knew nothing about this case and you like to cult, Cameron, we did one in episode 13, but I think I have found one that blows all of those and the Marshall Applewhite Gate weirdness out of the water. Apparently this one actually forbids soap. So the Ugandan Human Rights Commission did a report on this. It's comprehensive, but it bounces about a bit and it's a struggle to follow. And our African listeners may well know of this case, but I couldn't find anything other than the usual news and blogs. There are no books, no documentaries, no films. I did find a couple of very short YouTube clips. I won't link and I'll explain why at the end. Lots of places mentioned in the report did not translate well and are difficult to pinpoint on a map. Who exactly were the cult leaders or 12 apostles is also a bit murky as the names are difficult to track spellings. They seem to vary so wildly and I'm not even sure it's the same person and they seem to vary on each report that I read, so I'll stick with the main two. I've only got very limited information on them, such as background, bearing in mind we're in a country where official records are scarce." So as Cameron mentioned at the beginning, most people have heard of Jonestown and the so-called Reverend Jims Jones.
1: So let's pretend people haven't.
0: Okay. Was he ever actually ordained? I don't even know that. By, I just by people, him so. I mean me. Yeah. Right. He had 900 followers and they all died in 1978. But looking alongside this case, at least to me... Why isn't this one known in the same way, I think, is with the white US senator getting killed and those victims who were mainly US citizens, even though it took place 22 years later. And I dare say it's actually more barbaric. The Jonestown one had reporters there and helicopters, so there was a lot of video evidence. This one had none of that. And a lot of people get mixed up with Guyana in South America is Ghana in Africa, totally different countries. And the Jonestown massacre was therefore in South America. Did
1: you know that Turkey renamed themselves? They changed the spelling of Turkey. Yeah. So, uh, is it, I think it's because they don't want to get confused with the animal, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Not, think uh, right. I mean, come on, if they've named Ghana and Guyana.
0: Exactly. That's why people get these mixed up. Jonestown, he was, um, a, I dread to use the term, but it's, it's definitely that. He was a white saviour type. And he preached religion to disaffected uh, black people in poor areas in America, and he attracted a lot of political attention. And he basically said, "They're all against you. Let's all go off to this uh, paradise, paradise in South America, and it was hell on earth." And then he decided he just became he 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 was barking mad. That's the end of it. When I
1: googled um, Jim Jones, (laughs) Leonardo DiCaprio. Peered up right in, up next to him. I, I assume he's playing him in a movie, because I know that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's got a thing for young people, but I don't think he wants to make a cult.
0: No. <laughs> yeah, no, Jim Jones was a special piece of work. And that's where the, the, the saying, "um they drank the Kool-Aid, come from.
1: Yeah, you don't drink the Kool-Aid. Yeah, yeah
0: but it wasn't actually Kool-Aid, because they ran out of it. They actually just mixed up fruit juice. Right, so the quick dive into the location. Uganda, East Africa. Its neighbours are Kenya... South Sudan, Democratic Republic of the Congo, Rwanda and Tanzania. So it's landlocked. I think it's fair to say that the region has had its troubles. Some of my generation know of its former dictator, Idi Amin. Some know of it from the film Raid on Entebbe, which based on the events of 1976 when Israeli commandos rescued 102 hostages from a flight that had been going from Tel Aviv to Paris. And this was in the days of the PLO. That film starred the late, great Yafit Koto, um, who played Idi Amin. And even now, pictures of Idi Amin gives me the heebies. He just radiated malevolence, I think. He had links to Gaddafi, and he eventually died in exile in Saudi Arabia in 2003. I'll put a link in the show notes if anybody wants to read up on him. Cameron, you've been doing a bit of reading, though, haven't you?
1: Yeah. I don't like to read the blands. I like the weird shit. Yeah. Because that's what makes it remotely interesting to me. So, Idi Amin had a lot of titles going through it and i think whenever you give yourself these titles it usually means you're a bit fucking mental okay this this, this is his full official title and it's going to sound like it's going to sound like a paragraph i'm not kidding because it is so this is it His excellency president for life field marshal al-haj dr Dada vc dso mc lord of all the beasts of the earth and fishes of the sea and conqueror of the british empire in africa in general and uganda in particular that's that's his title um
0: pity anybody that had to write that out or read it out every time he rocked up into something or another
1: it it just okay game of Thrones had your grace okay that's that's pretty succinct and tight it's a good it's a good little title isn't it? you got like your majesty you got the, the queen but fuck brother why are you <sighs> that was i, I just <laughs> i just thought that was weird right. that, that he had to give himself so many titles that like, i really am in charge you can tell because yes. i've got 50 words before my name
0: yeah that's exactly what he was about So Uganda has a population of roughly 42 million, they think. They don't know as parts are impossible and some areas don't have a functioning government. And it's number 151 on a scale of 176 of corrupt places in the world, which is why this case is also a bit of a mess. They have their own way of doing things. Well over 80% of Ugandans are Christian. What's the
1: second most popular religion? Because in the 1970s, the first exogenous religion was um, Islam. that went over there as well. Ah, I did some research too. Ah, Didn't know that, did you?
0: So when this event actually takes place in early 2000, the country was still recovering from the aftermath of many, many religious scandals. The usual type with the church, corruption and sexual abuse type things, and the aftermath of the AIDS epidemic. And people were very easy prey for this group. We start with somebody called Joseph Kibwetteri, born in 1932, married in 1960, had children, 16, with his wife. What was his name? Joseph <laughs> Kibw- Kibwetteri.
1: Joseph Kibwetteri. Yeah.
0: Okay. So he had 16 children with his wife and at least three of we know, that weren't with his wife. He was wealthy by Ugandan standards and very religious. He started out as a teacher, even built his own school. He was working as assistant supervisor of the area's Catholic schools and later became chairman of the Public Service Commission. Joseph had a brief fling with politics, campaigning for what at the time was the opposition of the government, the Democratic Party, in the 1980s elections, but he dropped out after their defeat. The family then moved to a place called... Rewash-a-ma- m- Rew- r- you right? Can you smell toast? You having a stroke? What was that? <laughs> Brains buffering again. <laughs> Rawashamari, where they owned several properties, hundreds of cattle, and a milling business. They seemed to be doing okay, but he was having religious visions, and they were getting more frequent. By 1984, he was seeing the Virgin Mary and telling anybody that would listen. Joseph, according to his family, is or was very probably schizophrenic. There is mention of mental institutions, but many people are very religious and have visions and are not mentally ill, so who actually knows? This, the vision seeing, all reached the ears of someone called Credonia Morandi, ex-barmaid in some places, a brewer of banana beer in others, and she claimed an ex-sex worker. Ooh, su- that's
1: probably dangerous in Uganda, considering like, the yeah. HIV and AIDS.
0: Yeah, but it's she claimed, and the suspicion is she claimed that to make her backstory better and aligned her position in the cult to that of Mary Magdalene. Okay. Bad girl come good kind of stuff. Credonia's dad is another one who has visions, but he isn't part of the cult, a guy called pa- Paolo Kashuku. He started having religious visions in the 1960s, seeing a ghost of a deceased child. By 1989, he's telling Credonia she has to tour Uganda and spread the word of the return of the Virgin Mary. Credonia goes on tour. Why not? So she rocks up in the place called here's a bit Here's about... Oh, fucks. <laughs>
1: I did say at the start, you're going to struggle with these names, and I apologise beforehand. (laughs) Yeah,
0: She hears about Joseph and seeks him out, and she tells him, well, wouldn't you know it, she had had the exact same visions as him about Virgin Mary in a cave nearby his house. So, hey, besties and all that jazz. Before Joseph's poor family knew what was happening, she's living with them and providing handily, abusing the children, beating them, and Joseph was so in awe of her, he did whatever she said. On one occasion, she claimed the Virgin Mary had told her all children under five should be killed and a sacrifice was needed immediately. He probably pushed back that one, that one. His wife, well, she said and did nothing and she couldn't because that society is completely patriarchal. Her and the the girls, they just couldn't get involved in it. And Most of what we know comes from the boys side of the the family they've come through on the reports so joseph and credonia formed the movement for the restoration of the ten commandments of god with the mission to spread the virgin's message about the apocalypse you know the apocalypse that only they knew about through their visions and the world will end in 2000 but you won't go to hell if you follow our rules you'll still likely die but you just won't go to hell it's called a movement and a church to most but obviously, it's a doomsday apocalyptic cult.
1: There's some quite interesting graphs and websites you can find that plot out when all these supposed apocalypses are going gonna to start. A lot of them come from numerology in the Bible. Three plus three equals six, and it's the sixth year of the sixth season. Therefore, that's when we're going to die. When We haven't, it's unfortunately. It's still all over Twitter. I mean, coronavirus, never know, right?
0: You've got no idea some of the weird stuff that I read on social media that are still touting the same thing. And I end up... A lot of times when you walk in and you think, what the earth is she looking at? I'm reading these threads and I'm just like, no, I need to get away from this. (laughs) Doomsday scrolling, literally. So this group grew rapidly and also attracted several defrocked Catholic priests and nuns. One being Dominic Cattarubalbao, a respected and popular priest. I like
1: like the pause there before you surname.
0: A popular priest. He had a PhD from the United States And he gave added weight to the cult. They worked as theologians, rationalising messages from the leadership, Credonia and Joseph, and a nun called Ursula. So defrocking of clergy is the removal of their rights to exercise the function of the ordained ministry. It may be grounded on criminal convictions, disciplinary problems, or disagreements over doctrine or dogma. And it varies according to the Christian denomination. Basically, it implies misconduct. The church in these parts, as I said, is mainly Catholic. And Catholics don't actually use that term, defrocking. But everyone else does, so we'll stick with it. They called it laciisation. Mm. We don't know what they did to get defrocked. It really could have been disagreements over the religion, but somehow I doubt it. The village elders were not happy with these rather strange people living close so close by. And by 1982, there were rumblings that they wanted them to leave. It was sort of... Uh, through the documents, if you don't leave, we're going to make you leave. So Credonia ups the ante. She tells Joseph that he had to take his children out of school and sell everything all his land, cars, businesses, etc. to feed the cult members. Oh, and by the way, She's getting messages, only her, of course, from the Virgin Mary through a hidden telephone system that spoke through objects such as cups and plates. It's always a direct line to God, isn't it, or a Virgin Mary?
1: Why did he believe her, though? Because in in his mind, he's receiving similar messages, isn't he? Because he he said he can see her. Nobody knows why. I don't get why he believed her.
0: No. His family didn't understand why he believed her. They're coming forward and saying that they think he was schizophrenic. And it's a patriarchal society, so nobody knew. He eventually goes on to hold what they consider the position of bishop within their own church. So he is the leader, but he deferred to Credonia on everything. And nobody quite knows why, but, yeah, I, I'll come up with something in a minute. But So she's getting this direct line to God, and the village wants us all gone. So let's all move in with my dad. He says we can live on his farm. Joseph splits from his wife at that time and they don't see him again except for a funeral in 1995. He just ups and goes off with Credonia and leaves his what wife. What about the 16 kids? Leaves them all okay. with his wife. So they pack up and move everyone. No idea how many were there were by this point and they head two hours west. The town of Kanugu, where this all takes place, is small. That's got about 15,000 people in total. The next largest town is 27 miles away with the capital of Kampala 251 miles away. It's a peaceful small place, green hills, deep valleys with small farms dotted about. They started out with Credonia's dad but swiftly grew and expanded, buying up land over the following eight years. How How could they afford the land? Every time somebody joined the cult. They had to pay. Give them. Give us everything you've got. But then why would they join the cult, though? I don't,
1: I... That initial investment to have to join the cult it would have to be superseded by them knowing that them going into the cult would be profitable in whatever terms they might mean, like spiritual or physical in this sense. But I don't get why you do that, unless you are also subject to these weird blurring of reality that they are. Exactly. You've... But then why have they got money in the first place? And that's what I don't get. What? I str- I struggle with it.
0: I I don't disagree with you, and I think anybody similar to has got any kind of a question in mind would struggle with it. But these people believed with it; they absolutely believed it. So they set up various compounds where followers would farm and pray a lot. They taught that to avoid damnation in the apocalypse, one had to strictly eat
1: f- cornflakes. All <laughs> <laughs> the ruse by
0: Kellogg's. <laughs> well, One had to strictly follow the Ten Commandments. The emphasis on the commandments was so strong that the group discouraged talking for fear of breaking the Ninth Commandment. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbour. And on some days, communication was only conducted in a sign language that they developed.
1: Again, uh, if you want to manipulate someone, you have to remove their social structure around them, don't you? By them not allowing them to talk they can't communicate and cause dissonance is the word i'm thinking of between them against the people in power yeah In these two people that i can't pronounce the names to be honest and then by them having a language that they can speak that further insulates them so the only community they have is within their hyper insulated cult like community community yeah. Yeah. further further like perpetuating the cycle right yeah exactly it yep okay cracked it
0: fasting was conducted regularly and only one meal was eaten on Fridays and Mondays.
1: So I don't have a problem with fasting. There are some health benefits to it, but usually it's intermittent fasting, usually like an 18-hour to, to then a six-hour window of eating. The uh, longer windows like that are a bit, mm, especially in like a, a probably a pretty hot climate of Uganda, I w- probably wouldn't advocate for that. Well, that f- it had to be been food, though. It could have been fluid as well. I don't It, it I didn't, probably didn't. Spe- that would be dead. That would be dead. I it, don't it wasn't have that fluid. Level it wasn't of detail, Cameron, okay. I'm
0: sorry. Questions would be sent to Credonia in writing, and she was known as the programmer. She would write back with answers. They did everything possible to avoid sin. Sometimes, if you sinned, they would command you to recite the rosary, which is an entreaty to God, if you don't know, which I didn't, a thousand times. Devotion to the movement regularly involved pilgrimages and specifically one to its steep rocky hill nearby. After a tough hike through a eucalyptus forest, the faithful would reach a rock that they believed depicted the Virgin Mary and they would sit up there and pray to it. Credonia and Ursula, that other nun I mentioned, had followers believing that they knew every sin and if someone broke the rules, those two would cry tears of blood. They farmed as I said. They had two shops where they sold their produce. They built a school and taught their own children and they had at least 60 head of cattle. The different compounds had different setups. Up to 100 people would usually live in the compound as if in a commune. Each compound was a few kilometers away from the other. Nayabaguto site was the main compound. It was about 40 acres in size. It's pretty big. And it was so secluded, and one person could not get there without being noticed from a distance, whatever direction they came from. That It was on an isolated hill with a clear view of all approaches. So we're going back straight into that isolation, you know. There's only one road leading to the place, which, again, was constructed by the cult members, and the road stopped at the headquarters. It didn't go past. It just came in. It was in an out road. The roads to all the other camps were dead ends as well, and they had no way through. They put up fencing. It was done in such a way that people could not see inside the compound. This enabled the leaders to plan all their activities without with, outside, with outsiders' suspicions or any kind of interference, so they couldn't be watched. There were also four other smaller compounds, and of course each leader had a very nice house. One or two had an estate, as it was described, in the area. None of them lived with the members. They also had outposts, as it were, small churches in other towns, but not compounds. And it was said that the church actually had 5,000 members at one point. But the abuse had started in the compounds. They separated the children from their parents and sent them to different compounds. There's mention of kidnapping, whereby one parent would take the children to the cult and the remaining parent would try and get them back but authorities ignored all pleas for help. They'd cozyed it up to local government officials, and whilst bribery wasn't mentioned, it was hinted at. Remember, 151 on a list of 176 most corrupt countries. Children were beaten into silence. It's actually described as torture in some places. Members were not allowed to talk or associate with anyone from outside the group. Isolation, as you said, Cameron. If you displeased any of the leaders... Belongings were taken, such as clothes, and burnt. The movement for the restoration of the Ten Commandments of God was legally incorporated with this name in 1994, and the boarding school was licensed until 1998, when the license was revoked by the government on the grounds that its teachings were contrary to the Ugandan constitution and in the way with most useless governments the world over. They actually carried on paying the cult for that school until 2000. The government also expressed concerns over breaches of public health regulations and possible mistreatment of the children. Children were suffering with malnutrition and various illnesses such as scabies, but no modern medicine was permitted, just washing with blessed holy water.
1: I bet that they claimed people's ill health were because they weren't religious. Or they'd sinned. Or they didn't tithe enough, or they didn't put enough work in. They're they're blaming them for their poor health conditions.
0: People did leave the cult. Parents unhappy with the the treatment of the children, including smacking their heads off concrete floors, I read in some places, for sinning, such as talking to each other. If they bought the children clothes, they were taken from them and given to others, their favourites within the cult. And if they complained, the clothes were burnt in front of them. Soap was banned. Sex was banned. Even between husband and wife, except for the leaders, of course, who indulged Talking was banned, except for the leaders. Joseph and Credonia had been caught more than once indulging by other <laughs> members. So, yeah, so that's maybe why she, she had power and control over him. So when people left, no one really noticed until more and more were leaving and not taking any belongings with them. Questions were asked... And people doing so were punished. So people either stopped asking or they disappeared themselves. And others being told they'd simply left during the night. They never left during the day, did they? Because somebody would seen them go from these compounds, the way they were set up, and nobody questioned it. Well, they couldn't, could they? Can't talk. No. They had a few end-of-days deadlines that had come and gone. These cults often do. But by the end of 1999, the cult followers were convinced that the end of the world, it was coming. And it's reported that the leaders had told their followers that the world was ending on the 31st of December 1999. When this prophecy did not materialize, obviously, Credonia informed the followers that the Blessed Virgin Mary would appear to deliver a message between the 6th and 18th of March 2000
1: so she said that the virgin mary is going to appear to someone me in this case and, they, and then they're going to tell us talking through the plates and the cups again probably. what the what the important message
0: is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but this apparently this raised the spirits of the, the cult members the followers and the leaders themselves started selling off their properties at the same time however there are those who are not convinced about these new predictions and discontent was growing amongst the followers Already, as I said, there'd been many defections before 1999. The so-called 12 disciples had fallen to eight, so the leadership team was somewhat reduced. Even among those who remained, there was no agreement on how things should be done. And a lot of families tried to prevent the sale of family property. You know, Dad, you're not selling off the farm. We need somewhere to live. This thing isn't going to happen. One of the followers wrote a 96-page exercise book full of complaints and passed it under Credonia's office door. Later, Credonia told other followers that someone had written uh, an exercise book full of satanic things which she'd burnt. She just wouldn't tolerate any form of challenge to her authority. To contain this discontent, Credonia promised that the Blessed Virgin Mary would refund the money from the sale of members' properties. It was also reported that she asked her priests to record the names of those followers who were discontent. Nobody dared question Credonia because it was against the rules of the cult to do so. Between the 6th and 16th of March, all the property of the cult was sold at throwaway prices. The cult leaders claimed that they were selling the property to raise money to buy a lorry and a generator. The fire and brimstone that was going to rain down on earth, I, I, I can't see the need for it. And why would you need to sell all these properties to buy one lorry and one generator?
1: We're, we're questioning the, the logic of people that would follow a cult. Yeah. I think that's a fundamental flaw in our, in our process here is questioning yeah. why, why are stupid people doing stupid things.
0: It sounds like asset stripping at this point, doesn't it? So the followers have been told that the Blessed Holy Mary would appear to deliver this special message between the 16th and 18th of March. So the dates changed a bit because it was the 6th to the 18th previously. And the followers apparently believed this because they convinced their loved ones to go to Kanugu on that day. Even women who had separated from their husbands went home to persuade those husbands to return to wait for this message. Women also convinced their children to accompany them to Kanugu. There was a frantic effort to convince those that had abandoned the cult to come back, and those that did not belong to the cult were invited to at least go for a big party. There are accounts of cattle being slaughtered for a feast, presumably the ones they didn't sell off, but what's quoted about a third of the actual value, and they were buying vast amounts of Coca-Cola, of all things. 17th of March, 2000, it is believed over 500 people gathered at the main compound. They roasted three cows or bulls, it said, drank 70 crates of coke, and then they entered the church. If the no- if they had noticed that the windows had been boarded up, nobody spoke about it. A loud explosion was heard by villagers, and the resulting fire killed everyone inside that church. Eventually, The authorities confirmed over 529 people died in that fire and I've seen the figure of 78 of those being children. Four days after the church fire, police investigated cult properties and discovered hundreds of bodies at sites across southern Uganda. Six bodies were discovered sealed in the latrine of one compound as well as 153 bodies at another compound. 155 bodies at one leader's estate where they'd been poisoned and stabbed, and another 81 bodies at another leader's farm. Police stated that they had been murdered about three weeks before that church inferno.
1: So what's that total body count there? So uh, you got 155 and 529. So you're looking at close to 700. It's like, it's like 684 yeah. Yeah. something mass? it's almost yeah. a
0: thousand in the end when we get to the end end figure. Ah, okay yeah <laughs> the government report i read did give a, an interesting view on the investigation the police used prisoners to dig up the bodies and rebury them assuming they had almost no manpower and nothing in the way of forensic testing some of these prisoners were 18 and 19 years old who had been given prison sentences of 18 months for things like stealing goats After searching all the sites, the police concluded that earlier estimates of nearly a 1,000 dead had been exaggerated, although the final death toll actually settled at 924. After interviews and an investigation were conducted, the police ruled out a cult suicide and instead considered it to be a mass murder conducted by the movement's leadership. They believe that the failure of the doomsday prophecy led to revolt in the ranks of the sect and the leaders set a new date with a plan to eliminate the followers.
1: But isn't that just the same thing but different? Yeah, I know. He, so he's saying that it wasn't a planned mass suicide attempt. It, there was, it was a murder based on the, the cult leader.
0: The cult le- yeah, and that's why they went looking for the cult leaders. They killed all their followers and took everything. It- took all the money, all the goods. They've just vanished. Okay, the discovery of bodies at another site, the fact that the church had been boarded up, the presence of presence of incendiary devices, one of the leaders had been seen buying still sulfuric acid, and the possible disappearance of the set leaders sect leaders all pointed to this theory that's why there was mention in one report that I read that uh children of Cult leaders said, oh, that was my dad in the church. That's his body there. I saw the pictures. There is no way on earth you would be able to identify anybody. They were... They were crispy. The,
1: they were murdered in a church fire. Yes.
0: No, there was... There was no, you could tell it was a humanoid, but that's all you could tell. There was no way... There was no clothing that was visible. I doubt if any jury would have survived. They... Apparently, they boarded up the, the, the windows of this church, and I'll explain later what the church was actually like, um, and they had somebody on the outside who actually sealed the doors so they couldn't get out, and then they set off incendiary devices inside, so it, and it just literally went up. Witnesses said that the movement's leadership had never spoken about mass suicide when they prepared members for the end of the world, yet others said they had. A survivor recall meeting a devout member of the cult with nails and hammer, with a nails and hammer on his way after he left the compound. It's believed he was the one who did the windows with the nails and the doors and prevent anybody escaping As I said, the church was said to have had about 5,000 members in total and, astonishingly enough, was considered one of the less violent local apop- populi- apocalyptic movements in Uganda.
1: That's probably external violence, though. Yeah. Not internal because obviously you're saying it's it's very abusive for the children but that's probably external violence like they won't go out and steal things and cause local damage they're probably they're quite insular Mm. Mm. that would make sense wouldn't it
0: yeah people locally still believe it could have been a mass suicide and i found some reports that some members did know about the suicide plan others were simply told about an imminent supernatural event and did not expect to die the hypothesis is therefore that there were three categories of victims. This is the official thinking. Those that knew about the suicide and regarded it as a rational way to escape a doomed world, which is a minority. Those who expected to go up to heaven but did not know how. And the traitors who doubted the... the Yeah, the, and the prophecy. And that uh, the, they may well have been the ones that were assassinated basically in that church fire, were murdered... Although it was initially assumed that the lead, as I said, that they thought that they died, Dominic, that defrocked priest with a PhD from the USA, was originally identified amongst the dead. But later the Ugandan government issued a warrant for his arrest, along with warrants for Joseph and Credonia. Dental records for the three are unavailable, and it's been impossible to determine whether they died in that fire or escaped with the movement's money. Some witnesses suggest that and the Ugandan apparent Gundam government apparently believe that although the police think that Joseph and Credonia still may be alive and have actually issued an international warrant for their arrest. In 2014, it was announced by the Ugandan National Police that there were reports that Joseph was hiding in Malawi. His family disputed that. They're convinced he died of AIDS. If Joseph was alive, he would be 90 now and Credonia would be 70. If there are members who still believe, even though that apocalypse didn't happen the way they said it did, if it would, could they be hiding somewhere? I mentioned at the beginning about those YouTube videos. One of them was subtitled in Chinese, so I soon gave up on that one. But the other one I watched was actually quite intriguing initially. It's a slideshow of pictures with text telling the story of what happened, and it showed that church... Which is in fact just a large, what looks like breeze block, single story structure, still standing. Inside, there is what initially appears to be very basic graffiti in pen, but looking closer, it's actually tributes written to those that had died from family and friends, is really quite poignant. The surrounding area had been taken over by the natural foliage, and in one place I read it's being used as a tea plantation, but That YouTube had no narration, as I said, just text and some quite evocative music. Until you get to the last couple of slides. It was a plea by some church to raise funds so they could buy it and turn it back into a church again. Church, not a cult. Very little distinction. Mm. So goodness knows who owns it all. I don't know if they sold it off before everyone was murdered or I don't know. It just gave me the ick. Leaves me with one last question. Where's the money? Banking system probably really not up <laughs> to <the> much. Where's the nipples? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The banking system is probably not up to much and doubt they would have used if it was anyway. So is it buried in tins all over the place or is it in gold or what? Where is it?
1: That was a throwback to a previous podcast, by the way. I wasn't just really curious where the people's nipples were. But yes, I don't, I don't know where the money would be. Because th- I su- I assume they just they just took it and then spent it because they liquidated all the assets didn't they Yeah, and it's not covered in anything
0: off. that I read. It? It, it'd
1: be impossible to detect it because yeah. it, it it would all be in physical currency. There'd be there be no yeah. Or, well, yeah. physical you can trade that. Yeah. So there's there's there is zero way to track it. And really randomly, something that I'd read is that uh half of all or over half of all the population of Uganda are children under the age of sixteen.
0: And that, to me, would lead back into so many people dying during the AIDS epidemic. Personally, that's that's where I, c- I get from that. But as you say, it could be to do with the religious.
1: I, I think it's just people having sixteen kids, so then they just eventually outnumber them.
0: Yeah, and, if and then they have
1: sixteen kids, and so on and so on, and then just and then all of a sudden, after three series of it, you've got like a thousand children.
0: Yeah, and you are rebuilding the population, aren't you? So, Jonestown happened in nineteen seventy eight. 22 years later, another cult massacred a very similar number of people and 22 years on from the Ugandan event, we still don't have a proper ending for this case. We still don't know. That arrest warrant is still live. I'm going to dig up the pictures for these two, Credonia and Joseph, and I'll pop them on the social media. So if you see them out and about, 90-year-old and a 70-year-old, you know, just let the Ugandan police know.
1: And on that note, we're going to end this headhunting <laughs> podcast. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Murder Be Podcast. And email us at Podcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time. Much love. Peace. Bye.
0: Single straw sto- story structure still stand. There, there, there. Fuck that. I want a drink.